You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Hey everyone, welcome to Modern Musicology. My name is Rob Levy. I am filling in as the um, chief dishwasher for this uh, this episode and and uh, doing the intro and everything. Alan is in the parlance of the industry on assignment and uh, Anthony Williams is also on assignment. They will be back very, very soon. Uh, my name is Rob Levy and I am joined by my fellow hench person, partner in crime, the uh, talented Stephanie Seymour. How are you? I am fine. Hi, everybody. How is everybody doing? Um, you know, so it's it, it's been a week. You know, we've uh, we've had a lot yeah. of uh, stuff going on, and we've listened to lots of music, and we've been you know doing stuff. And um, I just thought since we were down to two, we just sort yeah. of hang out and keep it cash. Do the kids I love say, it. Do the kids say keep it cash? Is that what they say now? They don't. They might say that, but I don't really know. Rob, I'm trying. I'm trying to. Be, I'm trying to be down with the kids, and <laughs> I, I'm not sure it's working. But um, so we have Stephanie with us, and Stephanie is a wealth of like incredible stories and things happening throughout you know her life because she's done all kinds of stuff. And we're, we are going to do a proper Tina Turner uh, thing very mm-hmm. soon. But I thought I'd open uh, with you telling us your Tina Turner story because I think it's really a hoot. Yes, it's and also just because obviously we're we are all I think heartbroken over her passing and you know her legendary status but this just sort of shows what a wonderful um human being she is. I used to work at Virgin Records. I used to work at Island first and then Virgin and um we had the uh Golden Eye soundtrack and Tina sung that song. So um, she came up to visit our offices, and that was at 1790 Broadway in the city, the New York City, down in Dirty City. She came up to visit our offices at 1790 Broadway, and uh, she went around to every single person in that office and met and talked and looked in the eye and spoke to every single person and was uh, took a picture with everybody, was so sweet Kind, kind and generous is really what I can, you know, say offhand. Like she just, she just made everybody feel special. And it's, I, I, I think I feel like I'm getting sadder and sadder about her loss. It was such a shock, and uh, I don't know. I thought it was such a testament to her as a person to see all my colleagues, my former colleagues from Virgin Records, posting their picture with Tina from that day and saying the kindest things about her. You know, it's really hard to find somebody in the business that is of that stature and that is so kind and humble. And the the other person that comes to mind that was just like that is David Bowie. So I was thinking about this and um, I've been reading all the tributes and everything all week from everybody, right? Just there's tons of them everywhere from, yeah. from people. And I've been, I've been looking them over and I, I thought about this and I took a deep dive because we lost Aretha Franklin a couple of years ago, mm. right? Yeah. So I started to compare the post-death Aretha world to the post-death Tina Turner world. Mm-hmm. And reading between the lines, I think everyone, you know, loved Aretha professionally, thought she was amazing, etc but I think everybody just loved Tina Turner, if that yes. makes any sense. Yeah, no, no. I, I mean, I, I, I'm i sure Aretha was a wonderful human being as well, but you're you're right. Tina was really beloved by so by so many people. And, and for the reasons I just said, I mean, she was just a kind and generous person and soul. And I'm, I'm in St. Louis, so Tina Turner, um, was born in Tennessee, but when she was young, she moved to St. Louis. So she spent actually more time here than she did in Tennessee. And there is a place called the Imperial Ballroom. It's fallen apart and decrepit now, and it's sad, but just literally tons of people went through there and played. And I think there's talk of finally renovating it or doing something. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but she has a star on our Walk of Fame. And okay. there has been just a huge outpouring of stuff put on her star all week. Like people are making sign, like big science. It's, it's, it's incredible. Um, and so I, I would venture to say that it is as much as, if not more than Chuck Berry, when Chuck Berry passed. Um, wow. So, but yeah, and she's, she's yeah. from here. She went to Sumner High School. The effect that she had on this city is really profound. Mm-hmm. And just the outpouring here has been amazing. But just around the world, you know, I know. you read them stuff from Mick Jagger. Yeah. And, you know, it's like when I when I read Mick Jagger made a real quick. I mean, he, he later did a really longer statement, but there was a really short one from him. Just like, who am I going to dance with? Um, you know, when we look at David Bowie dancing. I think of the dancing in the streets video. That's the first thing I think. Of. <laughs> yeah. But when I look at Bowie dancing and Jagger dancing, and then I watch Tina Turner dancing, and I did yeah. not know any of this in real time until now, like the last couple of weeks. I'm like, okay, they totally, totally did it. Right. That Vulture article was great that you sent me with all the links of, of the people that she like topped, like their songs that she either, you know, um, she she was covering, but she, or she was singing duets with or whatever, but she yeah. was outshining those stars, you know, Mick Jagger, Bowie, yeah. all these, it was great. And like, um, there was a great video of her singing tonight with David Bowie that, that surfaced this week. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. And w- what's interesting too, is I was reading um, something by Martin Ware of Heaven 17, who does a really great uh, podcast called Electronically Yours. And he was talking about, and I had completely forgot that they haven't 17 recorded two songs with Tina Turner. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. I did, I did. Um, and they talked about like, they're at the house, Tina Turner's house. First of all, they're like, Oh my God, we're in Tina Turner's house. And you know, the English are very reserved. So they get very excited easily. And then it's like, and then she walked in and there was that moment. It sounds like where they weren't sure, you know, you never know when something. Yeah, what the personality. And all of a sudden, like, oh my god, she's amazing. Yeah. And the thing is, I haven't heard anything bad about Tina Turner all week. Mm, me right? neither. You know, whereas like when Aretha and some of these other people die, you hear, oh, they were fantastic, but they could. Be. You always hear a but. I haven't heard any of that with her, which is. And it was like the same with Bowie too. I feel like they're both sort of, you know. You know, and I same kind of feelings. I I, I feel terrible because I have not done her catalog justice right i mean i've listened to it and stuff but i haven't dived as deep as i could a lot and you know i freely admit that i had a hard time for the longest time listening to the ike and tina records because i was just so revulsed by repulsed by ike turner oh yeah that it made it really hard to listen to their records together right yeah um but upon hindsight it's all her right i mean yeah it is i was watching that- like that ike's performance of the uh of the Beatles medley. And you're just like, there's no, I mean, they just kill it and it's them, right? It's just that it's really them. That's yeah. the Tina and I guess, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, anyway, so, so I know I we're going to talk about our, Tina Turner. Yeah. Let's talk about your record, your record label <laughs> times, right? Okay. Which is by the way, we just have to give, give the, the listener a little full disclosure. That's how Rob and I met because well, you we, were, we, we met technically over the phone. Well, yes, I was course. the music director of KCFV. Mm-hmm. And then you would call to work records. Yes, and, I was a college radio rep. And I, I, I think I probably skipped more classes because I was talking to you on the phone. <laughs> oh, great! Than I should have. Um, so <laughs> my low, my my low stature in life is all your fault. And so we talk about records, you know, because there's some of the college label people you talk to, and some that didn't. And you would always call after two people that were particularly horrible, um, and the really lovely woman who worked at Geffen. And we'd always end up talking about records. And then you left Island and went to work at Virgin. That's right. And, after and I toured. Mm-hmm. Um, charisma and stuff like that. You were at Network for a while, correct? Well, I was at Network because I was signed to Network, right? So my band got signed to Network. My band, the Aquanets, got signed yeah. to Network after um, I was at, well, during my time at Island Records. We got signed and then we went off to make a record. And that that actually, my, my boss was so lovely to let me go make that record for a whole month in Canada. And then I came back and still had a job at Island. But, um, after I had to quit and go on tour for a few months, that was when I, I really did have to quit then at that point. So then you're right. I went, when I came back, I, I came back as a freelancer at Charisma Records, which then folded later into Virgin Records. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I, I think every curve 
thing I have is is because of you. That's right. All curve, pr- well, all any kind of memorabilia or like promo items and stuff. You know, I I loved giving that stuff away because it was a treat for yeah. everyone to receive it, but it also really did help the bands. You know, I ended up getting to meet Kirsty McCall because of you. Oh yeah, and I got to meet the Pogues because of you. That's right. You did meet the Pogues. So uh, I went to, you know, you got us on the list for the Pogues for the If I Should Fall from Grace with God tour. Yes. And I met the Pogues. Shane McGowan was, I went after the, I, we got to go backstage afterwards and everybody in the band signed my record and my program book and they were all amazing. Yeah. I think I know this story. <laughs> Terry Woods is like, you're not going to get Shane. I'm like, I don't care. You know? <laughs> so Shane is leaned against the doorway. He's, yeah. He's holding a cigarette like that way that people do. He can barely stand. And I'm, He's like, yeah, and I'm like, what? And Terry Woods is like, he wants to know if you want him to sign your book. And I'm like, oh, okay. So he signs it. And I, you know, I said, you know, that was a really fantastic show. And at the time it was the best show I'd ever seen. Mm-hmm. I said, that's probably the best concert I've ever seen. And then once I said that, I said, oh, thank you. It's like suddenly he was coherent, ah. <laughs> right? And it was weird because we were back there for like 45 minutes. And the more Shane McGowan drank, the better I could understand him. That's hilarious. So um, I had him sign my, uh, I had all of them sign my program book and my 12 inch single for Fairy Tale of New York. Mm-hmm. Then when you were working at Charisma, you worked the Kirsty McCall record. Yeah. And I had her sign my copy of Walking Down Madison. Yes. Right? What a great inch, song. Which, uh, which is another story in and of itself later. Um, but I have, I had her sign the 12 inch for that and another album. And then I had her sign my 12 inch uh-huh. for Fairy Tale of New York. Sweet. Right. Sweet. And that's when she said, you know what? The best thing that happened to me with this record was, and I said, no. Then she said, Chrissy Hines said, no. What do you, what I'm on? I don't want. So originally Chrissy Hines was offered the vocals for Fairy Tale of New York. <gasps> it was written, it was written, um, it was written for Chrissy Hines to sing. And she either couldn't do it or passed it up. I had no idea. Isn't that interesting? And Kirsty was doing it in rehearsals, whatever. And they're like, well, let's just have Kirsty do it. Wow. Yeah. And if you watch the video for that, I don't know if you've seen, I watch it every year because my Christmas is basically fairy tale of New York from <laughs> Thanksgiving to New Year's. Have you seen the video for it? Mm-hmm. I, I'm sure I did. I just don't remember. So Matt don't Dillon know. is in, when, when he's in at the beginning, when they're in jail, right? Okay. Matt Dillon is in jail, is okay. in jail, you know, with yeah. Shane McGowan. Joe Strummer's in the jail with Shane McGowan. And I think John Lydon is. Okay. Um, but there, yeah. See who's in jail with them. So, so anyway, you're working at, at Island and you worked records by, let's see, the Buck Pets. The Buck Pets, one of my favorites and driving and crying. Driving and crying. Really. I remember yeah. you working that. I remember you working top. Top. <laughs> yeah. They, I don't even remember. Number one dominator. Top. It was horrible. <laughs> then you worked, you worked some of the other cool stuff like definition of sound. Yes. And, uh, PM Dawn. Oh my gosh, we had so many good bands. And, that's when, had- and that's when I, I think the first awkward moment we had when you said PM Donna's record's great, they sample Spandau Ballet. And I told you how much I hated <laughs> Spandau Ballet. And you said, I've never met anyone who hates True by Spandau Ballet. <laughs> and then the next two phone calls, you were like, Really? You still have like yeah. <laughs> it's never changing. We had really great offshoot labels too from Island Records, like the fourth and Broadway label and Yeah, because you gave me the 49ers record. Mm-hmm. Um like Eric B. Yeah, because I because I, I, I did the dance music show too. Mm-hmm. Um we had the great reggae stuff, of course. I think I got a, some Ziggy. I think you had a Ziggy Marley record. No, Ziggy was actually Virgin. Okay. But yeah. What is the was it the Ethel? You sent me some reggae thing. I know. I'm sure I sent you that. But... You sent me a Marley. There's like a Marley thing you sent me. It's like a yeah. box set thing. We had the Marley catalog. So mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, obviously that was really that's what started sort of like Island. the first time I'd really heard Bob Marley. Yeah. Kind of talk about how, I know you've done a little bit of this before, but talk about mm-hmm. how you sort of got in the door at Island then. I was um, going to NYU and I was a music business major. And I, since I had already done all the business courses, because I was actually in the business school first and I kind of flipped out and couldn't, I was like, what am I doing in this stupid business school? So I switched my major and I became a music business major. Um, so one of the requirements was, yeah, you know, you had to get an internship somewhere real. And since U2 was my favorite band at the time and um, 
I, I was just intent on working wherever they, they were. I, I really, I literally picked the phone up. I called Island Records and I said, I need an internship and they gave it to me. And so that's how I got my foot in the door there. I'm, my school was literally uh, three blocks from, yeah. from the office. Yeah. So I would walk there after school and just work there when, when I was, you know, interning, it was, it was maybe, I, I don't know how many credits I had to do a certain amount of credits, but, um, when those credits were completed, I actually got a part-time job there because I knew I, yeah. I had hopped to Virgin as an intern just for a little while, but then I shortly, you know, realized, oh, I really want to be at Island. The people were fabulous and I just didn't want to ever leave really it was the be it was it yeah. was the best job i ever and had in my life to frame this this is like 1986 when i first started okay because i think i met you in 88 or 89 right and i was already full-time then because yeah. i got out of high school at 87 and i started at, you know college i was at kcfv and i started doing news i was like the news guy in the morning for this guy oh. that had a show and then one day uh, because you, you couldn't do a show right away. You had to take intro to broadcasting, all this other nonsense, right? Mm -hmm. And he, one day he decided that he was going to do person in the hallway interviews. <laughs> so he grabs the mic cable and extends it from outside the studio, like all like it's at least 50 feet, right? He took every piece of cable and he's doing this. And after like five minutes, I'm like, this is effing stupid. So um, I just put records on. So he's out in the hallway, blah, 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 blah. And the music director at the time comes in and he's like, does he know he's not on the radio? <laughs> and I said, no. And he's like, and you're just putting the records on? Yeah. And he's like, are you talking or anything? It's like, well, if I talk, it kind of lets everyone know that, you know, There's I'm on the radio and I shouldn't be. And he's like, oh, okay. So then like a week later, I ended up getting, you know, like I was like granted to be a fill-in. I see. Right. But I, I filled in, I filled in for the stoner guy, the guy that was so stoned that he always forgot to do a show. So I was guaranteed that his seven and it worked out great because he was on seven to nine. And my, and my first class was at 10 uh -huh. on Tuesdays. So I would just, I was just showing up early just to kind of if nothing else I could work on, pro, work on homework and stuff. Right. Cause I pretty much knew that eight out of 10 times, this guy was going to be too stoned to do a show. <laughs> so I just ended up kind of doing it. And then I just kind of tagged along and learned as much as we could about um, all that stuff. And then there was a music director ahead of me and then he left and then I ended up getting it. And um, then I got so to, I got to talk to you all the time. Yep. I got to talk to you too, all the time. Uh, yeah. Not you two, the band, but you. Um, I'm trying to think what else you worked besides the Buck Pets and the, um, Oh gosh. So many Kim Rogers, who I, I am in touch with still, okay. she had a fabulous record. Um, you worked the I, Frank record, didn't you? Yes, we did. We worked Frank. She was so great too. So I had <laughs> Frank was a lesbian female singer, right? Kind of like a, kind of like a lesbian Billy Bragg. Is that fair to say? That's fair. Yeah. Yeah, so she played a show at the Cicero's Basement Bar. This is right when I Enjoy Being a Girl came out. Yes. Okay. And I had my wisdom teeth pulled out the afternoon of the show. And I was on the guest list. What a trooper, Rob. You're going to so, tell me well, you're going to go to the show with it. I, well, I so I planned on not going, but I ended up like, you know, I don't feel bad. I just got this, yeah. like, you know, I'm like, I don't feel bad. I think I'm going to go. And I'm glad I did it because she never came here again. So I went and I saw her and she was hilarious. She told funny stories yes. and it was great. And after the show, she comes up to me, she goes, are you okay? And I, and I nodded and she's like, you didn't laugh at any of my jokes or anything. And the person that I was with in the station said, well, he had his wisdom teeth pulled out today. Mm -hmm. And she's like, you can't, I'm like, and then I got a big giant hug. Aww. And she gave me like a guitar pick and um, yeah. I got like a free shirt and she's like, oh my God, that's so amazing. And I'm like, yeah. You You're know. a trooper. Well, I, I can, it didn't hurt, you know. Um, what did hurt is the Jesus and Mary Chain had an album come out that afternoon, and so did Severed Heads. They they both put out albums that week, and I was listening to them, and listening to the Jesus and Mary Chain physically made my <laughs> gap, which I couldn't really understand. Then I'm like, oh, I'm listening to headphones. So there's something through the reverb of the headphones that made my the Jesus and Mary Chain physically hurt me. That's insane. 
I have to tell you that you're, that jogged my memory. We we put out Melissa Etheridge. We um, first first record. Well, more than that, but I'm just saying that that was one of my favorite things to promote. She was absolutely again one of the nicest people of all time, mm-hmm. and she ha- we just saw the rip roaring show from of all time at the bottom line. I mean, I remember that show. We yeah. we were people were like hanging from the rafters. It was so so amazing. Yeah, and then I remember at the time, and I don't know. I don't think I've ever asked you this. Um, I know you made an effort to work a lot of the female artists at Island harder than you worked a lot of the other stuff. And I don't know whether that was intentional or not. Oh, I did. I mean, but the Kim Richard, um... you were like, you're going to play this record, or I'm going to break your neck. Well, I don't know if I would have broken your neck, but <laughs> yeah, no, you were like reach through the phone. No, but uh, I don't. I don't know if I did that intentionally. Honestly, I don't think I did because you saying that doesn't make me say, "Oh yeah, I did that on purpose." Um, so interesting. I don't um, recall. I remember you getting excited about Melissa Etheridge and Frank oh, yeah. and those records. But they were so good. I mean, all I these records you're talking about are great. Yeah. Yeah. So but at the time, mm-hmm. you know what was this is where it gets interesting too is that at the time the the quote-unquote college radio rep was very male and very and i have like two or three friends that were college call it my college reps that i'm still really good friends with and they're all dudes and like 90 percent of the people we dealt with were were guys Uh uh-huh and i i remember thinking one day that's like that can't be that can't be easy I, I honestly, and I think we talked about this in another show, I don't recall there being such a discrepancy, at least mm-hmm. in, in what I did. In other words, college radio promotion or video when I did video promotion, yeah. I don't remember there being, you know, it dominated by males. Honest, honestly, I, I had many female colleagues that did just what I did. And I also feel like in the music industry in general now, I probably have a bit of a hazy memory on this, yeah. but I do remember a lot of female role models and examples. So yeah, there there was a really cool girl that worked the front desk at Virgin that I went out drinking with a lot. Javana. Yeah. Italian. Um, yeah. Really beautiful, darker. Yeah. And well, hi, the- Gio. We're saying hi to you right now. Gio still works in the music industry. I think it was only twice. And it was by chance. I ran into her at like a show because I, I, I went and it was by myself and we just drank. And then I ran into her, I think two weeks later at another show. And I said, well, you bought all the rounds last time. Should I buy them? And it wasn't like crazy, you know, I think there's like two or three times that we exchanged drinks. If that was Giovanna, she is still in the music industry and she is, she has become a a massive, uh, awesome PR, like, you know, magnate. I'll call her a magnate, but yeah, she's, she's uh super super awesome and so talented and um she didn't give me the third degree whenever i'd come up to the office at virgin <laughs> and then you had another guy that worked at virgin that uh i would see a couple times out at shows uh and i can't remember his name but he was Tommy, very nice. maybe he was also a promotion person yeah he was a promotion person oh you know staff again i'd see him out a couple times tommy was the college radio person at, well tommy and chuck chuck was i was um freelance yeah. And Chuck was the full-time college radio person. So we worked together for a long time. And then I went into the video world. And then Tommy, I believe, took over that job after Chuck sort of moved up. Okay. So, yeah, so you might have met either one of them. And I think Tommy got the job after you left, maybe. Well, I was still at Virgin, but I was doing video. Video, mm-hmm. that's right. Yeah, because <laughs> I was decluttering the other day, and I found the video cassette of the Blur the Universal you gave me. Yeah. Yes, yes. So that was uh, so some we had so many great bands, but and I, I was, might give this to Alan, but I found the video you gave yeah. me. It's just Tuesday's Child by David Bowie. Oh yeah. That's on me. a video by itself. Yeah. yeah. That's the Thursday's Child. Thursday's Child, yeah. And that is the one that I told you, I think, about David Bowie walking down the hallway to me. Yeah, tell that story. That's on me. I love this. I could listen to this story all the time. It was just like a dream. We had a giant loft that we worked in on 23rd Street. Uh, we had moved from our 1790 offices down to um, 23rd. It was a big loft, and there was wood floors that were around the perimeter of the thing. 
And yeah. I, my office wasn't even an office. It was just like an outside of my boss's kind of thing. But I had a whole giant area for all the videotapes. And I had, this desk was like 20 feet long. So I re- recall hearing footsteps and I pulled my chair out and I like see David Bowie coming down the hallway at me. And I'm like, there's no way this could even be real. And I just turn around because my boss is right behind me in her office. And I'm like, he's got to be going there. But no, David Bowie stops right with me. And he says, hi, I'm David Bowie. <laughs> like, as if like I he has to introduce him. himself. Hi, I'm David or something. And I'm like, yeah, I know. And he uh, needed some copies of his video. So we sat there together and he made small talk with me for about five or 10 minutes, which was like the nicest thing ever. And looking at pictures on my desk and picking them up and saying like, is this your mom? <laughs> so, so sweet and kind. And he also, you know, there was a time when um, we all went out to the LA uh, to, for, it was probably for a meeting of all of our company. That was a yearly meeting. And um, David Bowie was there too. And he was working the whole room of all of us, all our crazy souls <laughs> and did the same thing. I was super kind, like just like Tina was doing, walking around, speaking to everybody, taking a picture with everybody and just being so wonderful. And that to yeah. me meant so much. My kind of story like that is when I was doing some radio stuff for Electra, we mm-hmm. and Mermaid Avenue came out. Billy mm-hmm. Bright, we they did a thing at um CMJ with Billy Bragg and uh, Woody Guthrie's daughter. You know, Billy Bragg played, and then he ended up walking around the entire room. And I mentioned a couple times that I'd seen him. And I had like 10 different questions. But I, I, I must have annoyed the shit out of Billy Bragg because I had like 10 different questions about it. And he's like, I really love the fact that, you know, you listen to my record. And I'm like, yeah, he was just so, he was like so polite. So when I worked at Electra, it was weird because um, the first artist at Electra I met, because um, I was in, town for cmj and we we had sort of like meetings for all of us and i was non-commercial radio but my i just missouri and iowa so i, I was calling like you were expl- explain to people so you were a rep you were a, a regional rep yeah right. now i yeah. didn't i i had a couple small stations they had mm-hmm. like a main guy that did it and then i got kind of got the leftovers he didn't want but i, I was the guy that took the posters to record stores yeah set up listening parties or like if a band came through town i'd hand out stuff at the show, stuff like that. Right. Yep. Um, Cause it was, it was part of my internship for school. The first person electro I met was Bjork. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, <laughs> I'm just going to say, she, first of all, she was lovely. Yeah. She was really short. She's really super short. I have a Bjork and, story too. Go um, ahead. <laughs> I, but the, the only, my, the, my conversation with Bjork started with Jesus Christ, you're short. <laughs> um, which just blurted out. And she just started cackling. And Bjork has this like weird sort of cackle laugh that's like great. And um, I said, oh, my God, I'm sorry. Did she put her arm on my shoulder? And she said, oh, no, it's OK. I'm like, she's like, I, I, I'm at least happy that I'm, I'm as, almost as tall as Prince. I'm like, OK, fair enough. <laughs> right. And so it was great, you know. And I got a couple things signed. I was talking to her. And um, my God, don't ever talk about the sugar cubes, is all we said. Uh-huh. And, um I said, you know, I've loved all your records. I said, you know, when I was in first started doing college radio, I played the shit out of Life's Too Good. And what it was a great so, record. Oh. And I said, you know, that was such a great band, and I'm so happy you've had success. And she's like, I'm I'm just glad that somebody listened to that band and listens to me now. Mm-hmm. You know? And yeah. I was like, Oh my God, I talked about sugar. I've done two things now, right? But she was absolutely lovely lovely. And then I ended up I never saw her live though until the homogenic tour. I, I saw her, I think, at the House of Blues in Chicago. Yeah, I've never seen anyone until I saw Madonna and Rip Taylor, uh, not together, do as many costume changes for a show. Yes. It was like insane. But I met her when I worked at Electra, And so Electra had this, this is the whole point of the story that I got sidetracked on. They had a Metallica was their big band, right? Was Electra's big Electra's band. Electra's yeah. big band. It was like. Oh yeah, they were huge. It was the fuel that dro- drove the car. They had an entire floor of all their people. And I don't know if it was a joke Mm-hmm. or whatever but they said they wanted everything covered in leather that was that had to be a joke but okay if you go up there and like literally everything's covered 
in leather. The desks have the little leather things around the bottom of them. The couches, they have leather couches, you know. Um, it's just like, it was like, it was just surreal. That's like no green M&Ms times a million. <laughs> I think they were kidding, but somebody like was, you know. Yeah. Um, and when when anybody in that band sneezed, everybody jumped. You know, they jumped through hoops for them. So I have a good Metallica story because yeah. um, my, so my, my coworker, Chuck, who I, who I was with actually, okay. So here's a little inside scoop. Chuck and I dated for a year. Hi, Chuck. <laughs> um, we're still in touch. Hi, Chuck. But uh, Chuck and Chuck brought me to, cause he was friends with Kirk from Metallica. They knew each other from like San, uh, from like Palo Alto or whatever. So we, so Kurt, sent a limousine for us to go to the show. He picked us up and we were like, watch this show from the side of the stage the whole time. It was so crazy and sick. Like I had never had that kind of star treatment before because that was really like friend of the band thing, you know, of a yeah. massive band like that. And I was not friends with any bands that were like that big. Um, so anyway, and then limo home too, which was super nice. And Kirk also one of the nicest people so sweet just like so humble and down to earth That's you see nice. them rocking out on stage and you don't and then you 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 know you hear them speak and it's just like 100 percent like one you know like a 180. <laughs> <sighs> that's funny so yeah. you, you you're at virgin and you're working a ton of records there and you're doing mm -hmm. video promotion stuff at what point did you decide to get out of doing radio promotion at radio and video i mean when did yeah. i just want to leave the music industry yeah I wanted to leave the music industry probably three years before I actually left the music industry. Um, you know, okay, here's the thing. Doing college radio, which I did for many years, at, at one point I got, which is when I switched into video, it was like I was still talking to like 18-year-old people and I was at that point like 25 or so or 26 or 27. And yeah, no, I got old. <laughs> yeah. And, I, you know, I was just like I can't. I can't play that game anymore, you know, I, and I'm not the hippest little kid in the world anymore, you know? And so it was such a relief to go into video and just really was great to talk, to work with a lot of um, regional video shows around mm -hmm. the country because I didn't, ex my boss was the person that dealt with MTV and VH1 and I helped her and I knew all those people and they're mm -hmm. all fabulous, but I loved what I did, which was working with, large and small shows across the country yeah. providing videos for them. Um, but there came a time when my boss called me into her office and showed me the Spice Girls video. Anthony's going to hate me for this, our co-host Anthony, because I think he he's a Spice Girls fan, isn't he? I get called into the office. We're watching the Spice Girls video. And I said to myself, if that's what I'm going to have to promote to people, I can't I, like in good consciousness, I just can't do it because I, I appreciate it. I do the fact that it's a good pop song and that, but to me as a musician, as a, as a person who struggled to make fucking rock and roll music my whole life and, and, and really had like, I thought I paid my dues. I, I still pay my friggin' dues. I, I just thought like, I can't, I don't know. I can't do it. I not to say that those girls didn't work hard at what but they did. There was either. a lot of prefabbed yeah, it music. Just, it rubbed the me the wrong way yeah. in the worst way. And at that point I said, I have to get the hell out of this business, but I didn't know what else to do. It, I had done it my whole life and I had done it before even, I mean, I did it yeah. as an intern, you know, I, I was stuck. I was like trapped. I felt trapped and I just kept working there. And, um, about three years later, EMI had massive layoffs and it was like we there was 1,800 people or so worldwide that were let go, but in phases. And so phase one, all my friends dropping like flies. It was terrible. It was like a, it was like a massacre. Phase two, all my friends going, leaving, goodbye. And I'm still there and I'm like, you got to be kidding. I'm the one that wants to be out of here, you know? Yeah. And finally, phase three boom, you know, I, I saw the HR person, or, or, like I heard the HR person or something like that on the phone with my boss. And I was like, oh my God, thank you, God. <laughs> you know, it's terrible to say, but we got good packages. We, we, I got unemployment too. I think I made more money in that year 
than I ever made in my life. And I was free. And that's, that's really, that's really what happened. I just, I couldn't take it anymore. And the craziness and the nuttiness and dealing with people who had massive egos when they really shouldn't have had massive egos. Did you clear out the closet before you left? I didn't Did really get, need like, to. Every, I had it. Okay. All. I had all it. I had all okay. the, the CDs. I had the stuff I wanted. And, you know, um, I still have friends. I mean, I could get stuff now if I wanted to probably, yeah. you know, from a few places. I, I didn't care about that. You know, it was yeah. more just I needed a change in my life. And I felt like yeah. I kind of out, not outgrew it because people still do it and yeah. enjoy it. And that's great. But I just, it, it burned me out. Yeah. It burned me out. And it burned me out also because I was also a musician and I was burned out from sort of seeing what happens to yeah. bands sometimes, you know? Well, what's weird is I was kind of like, because when I was doing the Electra intern thing, I was like, okay, mm-hmm. maybe I want to, you know, cross over and do radio promotion because mm-hmm. I could do it. And, you know, I had a couple, th- I interviewed for uh, a gig at Real World in uh, Milwaukee. Yeah. I got flown to. Mill. I, I was like excited. I get flown for the interview, right? It's Milwaukee in the <laughs> Not fucking glamorous. in the fucking winter. Although we um, love you, Milwaukeeans. And it wasn't, you know, there was no, there was no Peter Gabriel or anything. You know, so yeah. I, I did. I didn't get it, which is fine. And then I had a chance to work for a radio uh, marketing company in LA, but they were going to give me the same amount of money I was going to make in St. Louis, and I'm like. I'm not living in LA and mm-hmm. going to, I'm not doing that. That's nuts. So I, at that point I was kind of burnt out. Yeah. Right? And radio was like, I was dejected because um, the commercial alternative station here started when I was in Brooklyn and I came home, you know, they were, they, they like, yeah, you don't know enough about music and you don't have enough of a personality. So, you know, we're, we're going to oh pass. My God. We're going to yeah. pass. So then I, I, I got, you know, I, I went and finished up my degree and then at a school and then ended up at the community radio station. And I just been doing a weekly show ever, ever. And it's kind of my speed. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I so know it's it interesting. Great. It's interesting because we're, we both kind of got burnt out in different yeah. ways. Right. And we went, but yet we continued in our own way. And I don't um, like, I don't have. <laughs> I marveled by this. I don't have like hours, you know, like, do you have hours? Like, no, email me. You're right. You get to make your schedule, which is fantastic. I do miss the, like, I remember when Nirvana came out, the woman that was working at Geffen sent, well, the second thing she did is she sent a copy, an album and a CD to every person that did a show on KCFD. Yep. But a month before the record came out, she's like, I'm sending you something. Wow. It's coming courier. You cannot play it on the radio, Yeah, but it's going to shake the world and you need to be ready. So amazing. And I remember going in with like our production director who was like a big, um, he was into all the sub pop bands and just really good, you know, guitar rock and stuff. He really loved the descendants and all and stuff and literally over and over. Wow. And there's certain, there's certain things you remember, like, you know, just um, probably, you know, the one thing about, college radio is i remember running into moby every day in new york for an entire week randomly um i remember stealing a cab accidentally from saint etienne and we just ended up sharing a cab i remember i I was at the limelight one night and daryl hall was trying to um pick up my girlfriend no and i and i was like hey john Oates is looking for you and i grabbed her and just walked away (laughs) i was at the limelight when madonna was filming her I think it was the deeper and deeper video and they cleared everybody out. Oh, I thought you said that. Oh, what was the thing where, what was it a limelight when they wouldn't let anyone leave? What was that? Who was that? Oh yeah. We couldn't, there was a, like certain rooms you couldn't go in because Madonna was filming the video. Right? Oh, okay. I thought and there so, was like, like some of us, some of us were there and we were trying to, we got there and they, they let a couple people in and then they realized, wait a minute, Madonna's shooting the video. These people can't be, but, but like in order to leave, you had to go through part of where they were filming. So oh, okay. So the, the cool side's like, Hey, you guys want to watch a video be made, but you can't leave, you know, and it was, it was, it was cool, but you know, so, um, and I didn't get to meet Madonna or anything, but you know, um, and then we, I'm, we met Depeche Mode at the limelight. They were just kind of walking around being cool in their leather jackets. Yeah. And the two night, of course, the two nicest people were Alan Wilder and Andy Martin Gore was nice. I don't remember much about meeting Dave Gahan. I just remember 
going out and, you know, doing that all the time. And it sort of yeah. tied in with the radio thing. And I got burnt out on that too. Right. Well, so the whole, the whole thing just kind of burns you out. Right? It does. I mean, the, the, that's what you were just saying. Like when you're going out, you're, you're meeting people when you have to, when you have to go out every, you know, every night or every other night to yeah. see a show and also to be responsible for, you know, the, the radio stations and or video uh, people who are coming yeah. there to see the show and get them the backstage patches, do the meet and greet. Cause you, you're not leaving after the show. You have to do the meet yeah. and greets and make sure everyone meets, gets their autographs, gets to talk to, gets their drink tickets. The, oh, I've never that. had to deal with all that, but wow. Okay. Well, you know, it's like, I think I only left, I left when I was maybe 35 or something, but you know, yeah. I wasn't 20. So five years ago. <laughs> yes, exactly. I mean, I wasn't, you know, 22 anymore. And I wasn't like pulling an all night or every night got to be a little hard. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So oh. also you... I didn't sleep. I have insomnia so badly that I'd go home and I would be up for three days and I was fried at both ends so badly, yeah. you know? Yeah. I think I read most of my, most of the comic books and stuff I really read in the nineties. I read at like two in the morning or taking the subway to work. Right. Yeah. Um, Cause you don't have time. Do you have any? Do you have any MTV stories? See if your MTV stories are the same as mine. Oh, oh, oh! I have a, I have a fabulous MTV story. Um, well, because yes, we used to go there all. The, I used to go there all the time with my uh, with my bosses. Um, but um, and and I have to again, once again, say that everyone that worked over at MTV and VH1 were they were all so wonderful, and I just have so many great memories of those the staff people, you know. Um, but one of my favorite times was going up with my boss, Joanna, um, who was also known as Spock. And we remember we were, we were going to have Spock on with Teresa um, on our episode where we interviewed Teresa Kariakis, who is a punk rock photographer, a wonderful, mm -hmm. amazing photographer. So um, Spock and I went up to uh, the, uh, the offices. So we get out of our car. We come up to the doors of uh, 1515 Broadway. And I get to the the panel of doors and literally coming out the doors at me are all five of the go-go's. Oh, and, that's cool. You know, they're my they're my heroes. So I I I literally was so I I was so stunned. I I I went <gasps> and I backed into a wall. <laughs> I backed up into a wall and I I nearly passed out. And Spock, who in, knows them all from LA from a million years ago, she was just like, hey, Jane, hey, Gina, hey. And I was like, literally like panting and hyperventilating in the corner. And so finally Spock notices me like doing that. And she brings me over and she's like, hey, this is Jane. This is like, and I was just like, I'm going to die <laughs> right here. That's, that's way better than my MTV story. Um, <laughs> Tell me yours. I, I went there once because the girl I was seeing had a friend that worked there, but I went by there. I was on my way somewhere else. and I was walking by the MTV building and I saw Kurt Loder walk out of the, like I was walking towards it and he was coming out of the building. Mm -hmm. And so I'm kind of walking the same way as Kurt Loder. And I said, Hey man, I really, I really love your work. And he's like, I don't have time to talk. And he keeps going. Oh shit. But then I yeah. thought about it and I'm like, at that particular time, he was the last man standing. So him, you know, I think uh, even yeah. John Norris was gone at that point. So I, I bear no grudge. To, Did to you see a TRL live or anything like that? Uh, no, I, yeah. I have two other MTV stories, but I'll tell you those later. Um, Cause they're, they're damaging, <laughs> but uh, it, it was always interesting sort of like when I would stop by, your office because you always had like people coming in and out and i'm like how the hell does she get anything done because people are always coming in and out and then you got these like radio fucks coming in all the time bothering you it's like you know <laughs> but that's just part of it i mean you have to have a good relationship with people that you're working your records to because obviously you know you you don't want to be a dick because yeah. well although there were reps that were dicks because and they had reputations of being like that and it was very interesting because there was someone I, I I feel like that really cultivated that and really had a uh, a like a persona about them. Yeah. And um, but it served them well. I feel like in in one way, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But I had I had a friend of mine who was a rep at Warner. Um, I woke up one day to the mm -hmm. doorbell ringing, and I didn't buy tickets, but there was a FedEx with two passes 
with backstage VIP passes to Lollapalooza oh. in St. Louis. So I went. I called a buddy of mine and went. And that's the year L7 bit me. What? Oh, right. The yes, drummer from L7 bit me. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, so that was cool. I had another really great woman I dealt with at Geffen who got us into see Depeche Mode and Nitzer Evans, Chicago. Mm -hmm. But you see, see, you had these relationships with these people and that, you know, so it's the same thing, right? You. Well, you... I was talking to the woman at Geffen before she left her last day. She was calling stations and she got promoted. She wasn't leaving. She's like, mm -hmm. you know, you're like one of three people that I talked with at radio that never asked if I was hot. Oh, wow. And I'm like, well, I'm sorry to hear that. You know, wow. it's like, I'm, it's, it's, first of all, it's the phone. Second of all, yeah, like, right. Why does this have to do with playing records? Right. So that's when I kind of got a whiff of like, mm. wow, this industry is really effed up for, for, for broads. Right. I'm kidding. Broads. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I, I'm lucky that I didn't really experience any of that from my, from the people that I was talking to on the other end of the phone that I had yeah. to promote to. That was definitely, um, I, I never got any of that. Thank God. So one of the weirdest things I did when I lived in New York, and I think you know him, mm -hmm. and I don't think we ever talked about this, but somehow by going to the limelight all the time, I think it was the limelight, I ended up um, meeting Chumley Twist. Chumley, one of my old and, dear friends. And his girlfriend, Alyssa. They Alyssa, had, yeah. They had um, this thing, uh, they had like a, a cable access video show. Yeah, they had a great show, yeah. So I was like the guy that interviewed bands on it. Like big video for big video dynamite. Big video dynamite. Wait, you interviewed me? I must have yeah. met you at that point. Oh, not met you because I already knew you, but I mean, I must have seen you at that point too with them. We, in the uh, we saw you. I saw you like once or twice. Yeah, when I was doing that. Yeah, because I used to give them give them bands. I used to set but, them up with bands a lot. Yeah, but I so I like I remember interviewing the Prodigy, and I couldn't see him because the lights were so bright. And Meat Beat Manifesto and Moby, like the dance stuff was really yeah. good. I think we interviewed Sunscreen, Meat Beat Manifesto, um, Consolidated. Consolidated. Uh, we these are bands, by the way, that I played with with these guys. That somewhere on network or that we were, you know, we were, we were like in Texas. I my band opened for Meat Beat and Nine Inch Nails. That was a weird bill. Really? Yeah, we opened for Meat Beat so, two nights in a row. Yeah, I don't that was the horror story of Nine Inch Nails. Remember when we got bottles thrown at us and we were being spit no, at and there was no air conditioner in the summer in Texas? I mean, it was like a nightmare. But the Meat yeah. Beat guys were like the nicest, most awesome people. And also MC 900 Foot Jesus was uh, playing on some of yeah. those. Yeah. It was weird. Anyway, sorry. You know, you know he's a pilot. Now. I, I don't know if still, but I already got, a, after he quit music, he got a pilot license. Uh, that's cool. Yeah, I don't know anything else after that. But Alyssa what? and Chumley, so you know, that's that's wild. Gosh, it's a small you know world. Yeah, I know. It's very weird. We haven't really talked about the Aquanetas, though. So you're in the Aquanetas. I'm in the Aquanetas from starting around 1989. Because when I met you, you were in the Aquanetas, and you were sort of gigging around, but you hadn't gotten signed yet. I think so. You're right, because we did get signed at a new music seminar. It was 1989. So I did meet you way before then. Um, New music seminar. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, we played at the rodeo bar and uh, network IRS, network signed us. So we that's why we recorded I our think album in Canada. that's the show I saw you guys play too. Really? Because I saw you once in New York. Yeah. Okay. It, but I don't I, think you were signed when I saw you. Okay. It might have been Nightingales, which we played all the time. But um, rodeo yeah, I, bar was the one we got signed at. It might have been Nightingales. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it was it was interesting because I was in a band that was signed. <laughs> and then I was also working bands at a label. So it was a very kind of odd time in my life. Like I said, I would see, you know, things that I, I understood the record company perspective. Really, I did. And the goal is to make money but also at that time people really were still developing bands and believing in them and giving them you know three four five albums to break big so it was a little bit of a better time i think yeah um but at the same time there you know you would see the you know some things that didn't sit well with me obviously as it being in a band and then i was also you know i had to go out and play and do my gigs and go on tour and, and, you know, yeah. be on the receiving end of that kind of treatment sometimes. I mean, I don't, I think our network label was super sweet and awesome and all the personnel were wonderful. 
IRS distribute us in the States. Some people there were great. Other people didn't really care. I think yeah. ultimately we were just some little drop in the bucket for them. Yeah. So it was like we were lost in the shuffle. So then, you know, the Aquanetas are in the rearview mirror and, and we're close on time, but I, I do want to kind of yes. touch base on this. Um, I want to bring this full circle. You've given up the the Aquanetas. Yes. And then you've returned to music with uh, the, uh, the, the Birds album. And then there was a time. Yes. Can you so, just kind of talk about those? Yes. So really, really super fast. I was, after the Aquanetas, I was in a band called Psychic Penguin. Um, then I was I in a band. Okay. Yep. And then I was a ba- in a band, my own band called Birdie, that I was a singer-songwriter for. I had two CDs out. as Which I don't then, have, but I, I, I remember this. Oh, I have plenty of them. I'll send you some. <laughs> um, and then um, I didn't do music for quite a while because I really got into bird watching. And, um, well, I, I, I was, I, I have to preface that before I sort of stopped playing, I was singing backup for a lot of people. I was really into just being a backup singer and sort of getting better vocally and really just singing, singing, singing for other people and not running a band, which I found yeah. to be very hard to, to continue and be the like ringmaster kind of thing. I, I eventually kind of just faded out doing that. And I took a break for a while. And I one day sat on my couch and I was like, thinking that I could combine music with bird watching. And that is like, that was the spark of my whole There Are Birds album from that came out in 2019. And then yes, I had that one single after called There Was a Time that is still sort of getting play here and there. And I'm going to be making a new EP slash album I don't know. I keep saying that. Is it ever going to come out? Let's take a bet. <laughs> well, I mean, if Peter Gabriel can take as long as he takes to make records. That's a good point. Can, he certainly can too, right? That's a good point. I mean, if, um, you know, there's lots of bands that haven't put out records in like 20 to 23 years and they can. Yeah. And I actually honestly never thought I would put another record out again before that There Are Birds record. I didn't. I really honestly yeah. was just like, that's that's it. I'll just sing back up for people and stuff. But so it's sort of interesting how, you know, that's it's just a, another thing. Like, I think as you and I, as we were in, our, we're around the same age, you're a couple of years younger than me. But as you get older, you realize, you know, like it's not the end of this or that. There's always new things opening up. You can always do things. And I think mm-hmm. that's one of the things as you get older that you can really um, appreciate yeah. more. Do you feel that way? Like in your career? Yeah. I mean, early on, I felt really guilty because, you know, it's, it's almost like imposter syndrome. Cause I, I loved music so much, but I could never play anything. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, my version of playing the drums was more like beating the shit out of the drums. Right. Yeah. Which is great if you want to be in a punk band, but it doesn't really do much. <laughs> yeah. Um, then I quickly realized, you know, I'm okay if I don't have any musical talent, but I can, I can just still play records and get yeah. other people to like them. Right. Um, but I just can't imagine navigating that world with making the record and touring the record. And then people don't realize that, especially it's probably more so in the nineties than now promoting a record in the nineties was hard ass yeah. work. I mean, that's some like, back grinding work and but in both ways both at the label promoting the record and uh the other stuff now everything's so instant you know you can just say well i know you don't like this record but this is how many and i get this a lot but it's gotten seven thousand views this week on right you know so you don't the 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 way to have data and track the success of a record has changed so much since then it has but some good, some bad, right? I mean, there's yeah, positive. I mean, for me, the sense of discovery is not what it was because I used to just wander into a store, pick up something that looked cool and then like it. I know. And now it's just kind of like they have the recommended if you like this. And I'm like, don't do that to me because half the time it's wrong. Uh-huh. You know, on the sleeve, they say, for fans of. And I'm like, they don't sound anything like these bands. Right. <laughs> and everything says the cars. For fans of the cars. I'm like, No. <laughs> no, stop this. But so, I mean, you still, you know, you can still find joy in doing what you do. And you also keep finding new ventures. You do. You personally do. Well, it's, it's, it's to a certain extent, it's survival and also ADHD. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so that's part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, when you do it, as long as you do in a place, doors kind of just open, right? Yeah. Because just out of 
it, in many ways, you know, like you said, putting in the work, right? Or paying the dues. I mean, and being talented because you do have to be, t- you you have a lot of talent and a great ear for these things. Uh, so you, you also, you know, there is a certain extent of like, okay, these people put in their dues or paid their time or, you mm-hmm. know, yeah. which is why I think I read so many music books because like these people put in the time and the effort to, to write the damn thing. Mm-hmm. I'm going to read it. And you learn so much more about stuff too yeah so and the backstories and stuff which is always so interesting all the backstories are pretty incredible too you know yep. but I, I just think it's funny that you know 30 years ago you're you know you started off making records and talking about them and now you've gone full circle and you're making records and talking about them i know it is funny yeah and you and you are still playing records on the radio which is so awesome yeah but i only have six people listening no, when I was on the radio in Brooklyn, um, it was, the, it was like the campus only station and it got hurt, you know, and, um, it was like, oh, I have like, you know, four people listening or whatever. Right. Oh. Whatever. Right. Well, um, we know that's not, but we could play whatever we wanted. <laughs> so that was kind of fun too. Yeah. So if Alan were here, he would tell us that we are at time. Yeah. What you gonna do, brothers and sisters, when thousands of geeky fans descend on Atlanta for five days and nights of the grandest con of them all? You can prepare by training, eating your vitamins, saying your prayers, and checking out the Dragon Con report each and every month leading up to the show. Watch or listen and let Dragon Con Mania run wild on you! Thanks for doing this. You know, this totally this improv, this totally improv thing. So we should mention to people about our co-hosts that aren't here. Uh, Anthony Williams has a podcast called Watchers uh, in the Fourth Dimension. They talk about Doctor Who. They're going through Doctor Who in order, starting from 1963, going all the way through. It's on hiatus right now, but uh, it's a great deep dive. And uh, listen to those. He's archived, and he's got some other things brewing. And uh, Alan, our, our ringleader, has Cosmic Creative, which started from Cosmic Press, and he puts out books about lots of things. And he also has uh, a ton of podcasts. Yes. He has a, a Doctor Who A to Z podcast. He has a Star Trek podcast every week. If you look up Alan Seiler on all of the uh, social media channels, but MySpace, he's not on MySpace, um, you can find out information about him there. And Steph, where can people find out about you? Uh, you can find me on Bandcamp under my name. You can find me at therearebirds.com. You can find me on Facebook at Stephanie Seymour Music. And you can find me on Instagram at there underscore r underscore birds. And uh, I should also talk about our sort of uh, our understudy here from Modern Musicology, your husband, Bob, yes. um, because he has an album out too. Um, has a great album called A World Like This. Yeah, mm-hmm. where can and you can find him. Well, he's on Bandcamp um, under Bob Perry, yeah. um, P-E-R-R-Y. And uh, that's probably the best place to find him. He's he's also got Bob Perry music on Instagram. And mm-hmm. um, I think it's the same thing on Facebook. So thank you. And where can we find you, Rob? Where are so, all the places? So um, you can find me on the Weekend Justice podcast with neatcoffee.com. Uh, music occasionally writing stuff for Inc. 19 in a couple places. And then um, I do a weekly radio show called Juxtaposition. It's Wednesday nights from 7 to 9 Central. Um, Wednesday's a busy night, so if you're at home fixing your juicer or just, you know, chilling at home, you can uh, listen to it on the archive stream every week at kdhx.org. All the shows are archived for two weeks. Uh, that's on Wednesdays. And then Mondays, 6 to 8 Greenwich Mean Time, which is 1 to 3 Eastern 12 to 2 Central, um, I do a show on Louder Than War Radio called Antics. You can listen to that. And those are all on uh, Louder Than War's uh, page. You click on their web their website, you just find it. Um, there's a Mixcloud page with all of the shows, and you can listen to them. Uh, they are not as long as War and Peace, but probably just as exhausting. So you can, And they're uh, both, listen- but your shows are fantastic. Everyone oh, should you. check them out. They're amazing. Well, thank you. So um, this has been Modern Musicology. Please, you know, we love having feedback on the yes. show. So if there's any feedback you want to leave us, please do so um, on any of our socials. Or we do we do have an email. Don't we have an email, I believe? We do. I think it's modernmusicology1 at gmail.com. Yeah. And send us some feedback. Tell us, you know, your thoughts about the show or whatever. And, you know, um, please, if you like us, like the show, 
on our socials, but share it with someone, right? Share and the also best rate. free gift you can ever have is to bring the always cordial and avuncular Alan Seiler into someone's home. So <laughs> um, share that as well. So thank you for tuning in. Have a great night. And this has been the worst edition of Modern Musicology. Um, this is the episode where Fonz has jumped the shark. Thank you for tuning in. And um, the full gang will be here next week. I may not be because my ratings tanked. <laughs> Good night, everyone. Thank you. Good night, Gracie. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.